Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. You know they put irregardless as an official word in the dictionary? I don't feel good about it as an English major. I'm not mad at the use of irregardless in colloquial language, but we making it official? Irregardless. Okay. Tomorrow's my birthday. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was supposed to be figuring that out from last week. I have no clue. I think I might go to Palm Springs. Maybe I'll just go to the beach. I don't know. Like, I don't really have a lot of options because global pandemic and everything's closed. First world problems, admittedly. I am healthy. I am safe. I have food. I have shelter. But it's a little sad. Melancholy. Not because of the birthday, per se. Everything's just not normal. And it's been not normal for such a long time. And it's going to be such a long time before it's normal again. I think that's what's upsetting me the most. Like a birthday is an important day, but just another day. It's not a milestone this year. I don't know. In good news, in the last week, I found a new apartment. I don't know if I've talked about it on here. I talk about this a lot on Facebook. I have an amazing apartment. It's a loft. I've wanted to live in a loft my whole life. I have an amazing view. The sun sets in a very beautiful pink sky over my panoramic view of mountains. This place is lit with beautiful natural light. So bright. I keep the shades down for half the day as the sun moves across my windows. I really love this place. I guess in early January, I got a new neighbor and he... Plays his music like we're at a goddamn club. I went over a couple times and was like, hey, could you turn your music down? I complained to the leasing office a couple times. Hey, can you get him to turn his music down? I've texted him a couple times. More than a couple. Like, I've been complaining literally since January. He spends copious amounts of time away. And lately, he's been more responsive. But still, it's like living next to a club half the time. The gentleman on the other side is a producer. Music producer. So when he gets to making beats, we're talking about anywhere from three to seven to nine hours of thump, 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 thump all day. When I ask him to turn his music down, sometimes he does. Other times he just turns the shit up because he's annoyed with me, which I've said to him, like, look, I know it's annoying. I'm only complaining because, like, I can hear it in my apartment. He also likes to watch what sounds like either Jurassic Park or King Kong on surround sound. And then at 2 a.m., porn. Also on surround sound. It was a problem before I left to D.C. and stayed there for three months for quarantine. And since I've been back, which is less than a month, it's been completely unbearable. The night that I woke up to the porn on surround sound, I was like, fuck this. I literally put on my headphones and started searching for apartments. I found this really cute building, another loft, a different view, not mountains, but it's downtown and I've got views of all the buildings. This building is a little better. The one that I live in now is loft, great view, but just the basics, no pool. It has a gym, but one I would never use. This new one has a pool and it's heated and it has a really gorgeous gym, really beautiful rooftop views of downtown LA. So I'm excited. When I've been telling people I'm moving, they're like, oh my God, you're mountains. The other day I was working out in my apartment. I'm trying to build this home gym, which is really expensive. And there's no dumbbells and barbells anywhere. But I was looking in the mirror and I had to remind myself to turn around and look at the mountains. It's one of those things where like, oh, it's really beautiful. Like the first 20 times you see it. And then after that, it's just like, oh, hmm, mountains. I will miss them. But the new place, the view of the buildings at night backed by the LA sunset, pink skies, still got my pink sky. It's really beautiful. So I'm looking forward to that move. Speaking of which, I should tell you in advance that I don't know if there's going to be an episode next week. I'm mostly packed now, but I've got to move and I'm not going to run myself ragged trying to move into a new building and get myself set up. So if I don't think I have time to tape a good podcast, I'd rather just not do it. So Just keep that in mind if there's no episode next week. Don't be in my inbox like, where my episode at? I got to move. Damn it. When I was downtown, after I found the apartment, 
I have a friend that lives down there and she took me around and literally like we walked all over downtown for about three or four hours. And she showed me, you know, this is the restaurant for the sushi and this is the place for the pizza and here's for falafels. We actually ate at a restaurant. It's the first time I've eaten at a restaurant since March. Ordered at the bar, sat outdoors to eat. There were other people there. All the tables were full. It was pretty spaced out, though, so we didn't feel like we were on top of people. And short of when we were eating, we kept our masks on. It was actually pleasant. But at the same time, the waiter comes over, and I had to ask for extra cutlery. And the waiters got on this, you know, the plastic shield and then the mask over his mouth and nose. And I'm just like, we're trying to force a normal that we shouldn't. The idea that people who are non-essential are, are getting up and going to work with face shields and masks to protect themselves. It was stupid. I didn't feel like my health was being put at risk. The waiter coming over to us one or two times is not likely to make me sick. But I think about all the times during the day that the server has to interact with so many people. I'm just like, this poor soul is putting their health at risk for tips. It's fucked up. I felt bad. I mean, it was a really good meal. It was salmon and quinoa. It was amazingly seasoned. I know that's like some real L.A. shit. It was like, you went out to eat and got quinoa? Yes, I did. Had avocados in it, too. It was amazing. I was doing this last sweep of what's going on in the world to make sure, you know, I'm as up to date as can be since the news moves so fast these days. And I was reading that the Supreme Court has made it more difficult for women to access birth control as part of their health plans. It becomes an issue if their employer has religious or moral objections to contraceptives. That just seems like a crazy thing to give your employer control over. Like your employer can control your birth control? How is that acceptable? I guess I'd had a little more faith in the Supreme Court. Lately, they've been making what I think are good decisions. Trump was trying to get rid of the dreamers and they were like, ah, 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 nope, they're staying. There was something about abortion clinics in Louisiana being shut down. And the Supreme Court was like, ah, 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 folks need access. Thanks. I just don't understand how people are anti-contraceptive. I don't get it. Like, you don't want people to use contraceptives. You don't want people to have abortions. And then when these women are forced to have these children that they either fundamentally do not want to care for or fundamentally can't care for, they don't have the, the means, financial, emotional, psychological, mental, physical, otherwise, that then you don't want to, like, provide help for them. You get mad at women for having any sort of government assistance, especially black women. There's a constant cutting of social services. Men don't want to pay child support. Then you complain about single mothers. What are women to do? H how do we win here? Give me some logic. You can't force people to have kids that they can't or don't want to take care of and then be like, well, fuck them kids. Because that's essentially what we're on right now. Speaking of fuck them kids, Trump is on this tirade about schools opening in August. I'm like, are you are you watching the same news that I am? Coronavirus cases are on the rise. Trump keeps saying, well, we're testing more and that's why we're seeing more. And it's like, no, the rate of infection, the percentage of people infected, the percentage of people going to the hospitals, also on the rise. They're talking about sending the kids back to school. I don't even feel comfortable going to a restaurant. I did it and sat there and was like, why am I here? But you're going to take a bunch of little kids and send them to school? And I get it. Like, they're trying to open the economy. You got to put the kids somewhere all day so that the parents can go back to work. That's really what this is about. It's not about educating the kids. The government doesn't care about them kids. Because if they did, they wouldn't be trying to send a whole bunch of kids back to overcrowded classrooms in the middle of a pandemic. Betsy DeVos, she's the Secretary of Education. This chick said, schools must reopen. They must be fully operational. And how that happens is best left to education and community leaders. No, actually, schools reopening in a pandemic and how that happens is best left to scientists and doctors. They should definitely be included in that conversation. Like, they should be leading it. How are you going to educate the kids if they sit? How are you going to educate the kids if they did? And also, I'm trying to figure out this fall situation. One of the greatest sacrifices that professionally I've been through 
with COVID is the delayed production of my TV film. I got a call last week that's like, yeah, so we're actually going to go into production at the end of the month. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Because again, global pandemic. I was like, okay, so just to be clear, it is safe. Like I heard everything you said, but I just need you to reiterate to me that it is safe because as much as I want this thing to go and I don't want anyone sick or harmed or waking up dead to get this production done. I'd rather just wait. And they were like, so here's the thing. We have this very narrow window because all of the predictions are the second wave of this thing is going to hit in September. It's not the first time I've heard people say that. All my friends that work in tech, that work in corporate, I mean, the doctors on TV, this is what they say. Dr. Fauci, the preeminent doctor about viruses and pandemics. All along, he's been saying, yes, there's going to be a second wave. And yes, it's probably going to be worse than the first. He's been saying this since March. All of a sudden, they talk about sending these kids back to school. Everyone I talk to in business world is like, yeah, no. So we're not going back to work. Mm -mm, Not until at least 2021. Our offices are closed. Oh, no, everyone's working remotely. Mm -mm, No, 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 no. But then this woman wants to send children back. Trump wants to send children back to school. How? And they could talk about these kids going back to school all they want. The head of the teachers union, which represents more than 3 million teachers, she was on CNN yesterday and she was like, "Mm -mm, the teachers ain't going back. We ain't getting sick. Mm -mm, No, no, no. So you can send the kids back, but who's going to teach them kids? This is a mess. But I think more than anything that makes me melancholy is there's just like no end in sight for this thing. And people are doing, like, the dumbest shit possible. Fourth of July weekend, there's a club in Atlanta, Compound, which has been around forever. I used to party at Compound when I was in college. The club does not have a pool. For the Fourth of July, they installed a temporary pool so that they could throw a pool party July 4th weekend. Which, even in healthy times, this sounds like a cesspool. Why the fuck would you do that? Black folk are at least twice as likely to contract COVID-19. And when they do contract it, they suffer more from it. They get sicker. They're more likely to be hospitalized. They're more likely to die. And you, as a black club owner, decide, you know what? They can make choices. If they want to come, they can come. Somebody's got to have some sense. That's the whole problem with everything in the country right now. No one wants to be accountable for having any fucking common sense. Like as a club promoter who makes all your money off black folk partying, you might want to keep these mofos alive so they can keep partying, killing off your clientele. Like Trump and these damn rallies where people are encouraged not to wear masks. Killing off your clientele is a bad fucking business model. Killing off your constituency, making them super sick. Bad re-election strategy. But everyone's just like, well, we gave them the choice. They can do what they want. They didn't have to come. It's not my fault. No one wants to take accountability for shit. And that's how you end up with like 130,000 people dead. 131,000. People just die and die and die. And we just act like this shit is normal. That's 130,000 people that did not have to die. Two Superdomes and mofos. Dead. For what? No one wants to listen to the CDC or doctors or scientists. Even after we watch what happened in Italy, we're like, oh, that'll never happen here. And then it did. It happened in New York. It was actually even worse. People were like, no, we want to open up the economy, the economy, the economy. Fuck them people, the economy. But now everyone's sick and a whole bunch of people are dead. Hospitals are at damn near capacity. And their solution? Open up them schools. Fucking, ah. My other issue, because the global pandemic is half the problem, Black Lives Matter. So many gestures, most of them relatively empty. I mean, great PR jobs, cute looks, Black Lives Matter spray painted all over the place. Actually feels good to walk around and see declarations that my life matters to people. Thank you. Golden Girls, they were like, we got rid of a blackface episode. I'm like, I haven't seen that episode. I just saw clips of it. Once it was pulled, but it looked like they had on mud masks, not blackface. No one's objecting to old white women going to the spa. Mississippi got rid of its Confederate flag, which long overdue. 
about damn time. A, a symbolic gesture that also had great meaning. And still, I'm like, but what does this have to do with prosecuting police officers and keeping them from killing black people? Because that's what started this whole thing. Prosecuting police officers and stop them from killing black people. Minneapolis has defunded its police department. Somewhere else got rid of that police immunity. There's a special word for it, but it's not coming to mind. I didn't write it in my notes. I apologize. Netflix gave $100 million to black banks, which is dope. Breonna Taylor, no police officers have been arrested in her case yet. Elijah McClain, no police officers have been arrested in his case yet. They did fire three dumb mofos police officers who went to the crime scene and reenacted Elijah McCain's murder. That happened. But in terms of like real systemic change to correct the ills of racism, not very much. Your feelings are great. Your, your changed state of mind, your niceties towards black people, this uber politeness that I only experienced on the East Coast. I have not felt it since I've been back here. That's cool. But black people didn't ask for any of that shit. What black people wanted was to stop being killed. And every single day, there's some new video of a black person being killed by police. There's some new video of some crazy ass white person just flipping the fuck out over nothing. Once a week, there's a story about finding some like black man hanging. I think we're like one a week for like the last four or five weeks at this point. Black people do kill themselves. I know several. One recently, black woman, friend of mine from New York, lived out in L.A. I'll talk about that at some point. I'm just not there yet. But black men are not sitting in their house deciding, you know what? I think I'm going to kill myself. Let me go make a noose and go to the local park. That's not how black people decide to die. It's just not. You keep saying these are suicides. That don't sound fishy to nobody else. I try to think of the saying that it's darkest before dawn, that people are trying to figure things out, trying to figure out the right way to address systemic racism. It's, it's a big giant knot that has to be undone. And it's so woven into American culture. It's like if we tear all this stuff apart, what are we left with? At one point, and you know this because you listen to the podcast, I was actually beginning to be a bit optimistic, like, okay, maybe we'll actually see some change this time. I remember when Black Lives Matter emerged after Ferguson, I I interviewed Alicia, Alicia Garza. She's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. I asked her, I said, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you where you were like, oh, like my life is, is different now than it was before. And she told me about being in the airport and watching a news station And her picture came up and she was being labeled a terrorist. So where Black Lives Matter is now is a very long way from where it was when it started in Ferguson. It's like the new catchphrase. Everyone's embracing it. But at the same time, it's like, thank you for your statements. But what change, what actual change that affects my life as a black person am I seeing? Your kindness is great. Your acknowledgement is great. Run me a check. Stop killing us. That's greater. Amy Cooper is being prosecuted in New York City. Amy Cooper is the crazed white woman who wouldn't leash her dog when the black bird watcher asked her to. She completely flipped out and called the police and made a false accusation. That is now a crime. She is being prosecuted for it. It is a misdemeanor, and she could face up to a year in prison for it. The black bird watcher, Christian Cooper, he told the New York Times on Tuesday that he's not going to cooperate with the investigation. He says Amy has suffered enough since the May encounter that destroyed her career and reputation. He says, quote, on the one hand, she's already paid a steep price. That's not enough of a deterrent to others. He doesn't want to be involved. He says, quote, bringing her more misery just seems like piling on. So if the DA feels the need to pursue charges, he should pursue charges. But he can do that without me. He's getting a lot of flack for not participating. When I came across this story on Facebook, the caption was, quote, 
He's the one Harriet would have shot. Someone else said, I hate that this guy and the public seem to think, pretend that he was the only victim of the crime. Crimes are perpetrated against communities. Hence, it's the people of versus the perpetrator. I get that. I do. But I also think that Mr. Cooper has a right to feel however he feels about what happened to him. The rest of us saw it on video and we put ourselves in Mr. Cooper's place. We looked at the injustice, we looked at the wrong, and we said, oh my God, that easily could have been me. But it happened to him. And if he is not as mad as the rest of us for whatever reason, he's entitled to feel that way. Again, it happened to him. I also think that this incident happens in the park and he records it and he puts it online. He had no way of knowing it was going to turn into a viral story of the magnitude that it did. There are plenty of these incidences online. People upload videos of of white folks doing crazy stuff every single day. All of those stories don't make CNN. All those stories don't get multiple days of coverage in the New York Times and every other major newspaper. I imagine he's received a lot of blowback from this. I think most black people are are very supportive of of him going public and most black people feel really bad for him and other people as well. I imagine he's gotten a lot of hate mail. I imagine there are people in the street who said crazy shit to him. I imagine people send texts and emails to his family or anyone else they know him to be affiliated with. I mean, I get hate mail off of some of the things that I write on Instagram. So I can only imagine a global news story, what kind of negative feedback he's been receiving. He may just want to move on with his life. He may be like, you know what, this incident happened and I'm just fucking done with it. I don't want to be bothered anymore. I don't want my life to be defined by this thing or I'm tired of my life revolving around this thing. I personally would go after her with everything in me just to make an example of her ass, but that's me. He's not that person. I wish he was, but I don't think it makes him a bad person to be like, I'm done. It happened to him. And if he feels like she's received enough, then he's entitled to his feelings. I'd be damned if somebody told me I should be mad about something that I'm really not mad about. I was thinking recently about why so many people won't wear a mask. I was on the phone with my friend the other day and she was like, why won't these mofos wear masks in the middle of a pandemic? Like, what is the issue? So we like, you know, toyed around with ideas and we're like, well, okay, it's been politicized. Some men may think like it's not manly. I want to say it was a Dick Cheney who was like real men wear masks. And I was like, really? We have to appeal to men's masculinity to get them to wear masks during a pandemic? I've heard the Fox News contingent talk about it's their constitutional right not to. But I was really trying to get to like, like, what is the underlying issue with the mask? But because it, it has to be more than constitutional. It has to be more than emasculating. There has to be something like fundamentally that people feel like I will not wear a mask. I will not protect myself during a global pandemic. I asked about it on Facebook because y'all are really smart. Just so many thought leaders among us. Like having this platform is like the best networking ever. So I threw out. I was like, so what do we think the core issue is with the mask? This one woman wrote in. She's actually in tech. She's smart as hell. And she was like. I think it boils down to who is more likely to get infected. If you think about this, this pandemic, white people were really like, oh my gosh, there's a pandemic until they found out that black and brown communities were disproportionately affected. And then they were like, oh, fuck this. The New York Times had to sue the CDC to get the racial data on who was most affected or who was being infected by coronavirus, right? The findings say that minorities are two times more likely than others to be infected. And so the woman I was speaking to, she theorized that the white folks who won't wear a mask essentially don't feel like they can get it, don't feel like if they do get it, they're likely to get very sick or to die from it. And so why should they be inconvenienced? The idea that they should be inconvenienced to protect people of color, not worth it to them. Like if you die, you die. Which I was like, that's fucked up. But I think that's probably right. Someone else sent me this really good um, opinion piece on Medium. This woman, her name is Jessica Peterson White. She is, she's an owner of a bookstore. And she was talking about her experience in retail. And I'm going to read you 
a chunk of what she said because I could paraphrase it, but she says it so much better. She says one of the reasons that white folks, specifically white people, are adverse to wearing masks, quote, it's because one of the cornerstones of whiteness, one of its defining characteristics, is the entitlement to be as you are, as you wish to be in public spaces. People of color are not shocked to learn in the time of COVID-19 that they must comply with someone else's rules, rules that might seem arbitrary or unimportant to them personally in order to be allowed to participate in public spaces and community life. That is a normal condition of life for people of color and especially black people. In fact, the enforcement of those behaviors, behaviors unrelated to public health, is one of the most important weapons of oppression. That rings true to me. Black people being uncomfortable in public spaces that are not mostly black safe spaces. Absolutely. Like I read that and I wanted to argue and I was like, well, am I uncomfortable? And I'm like, well, there is a reason to have a professional voice and a regular voice. The professional voice is disarming the white people. A black girl with too much bass in her voice. It's sultry when it's on the phone or a hotline. A deep voice reads as threatening to white people. It's not something I'm really conscious of that I do, but I do it. I remember the first time I was called out about it. I was going to the mall with a friend and her little brother was with us. And we were in the car talking. He was like playing his little video game in the backseat, not thinking about us. We go in the store. We're in the dressing room. And I'm talking to my friend, regular voice. And I had to ask for like a, another size. He was like, why do you change your voice like that? And I was like, what? And he was like, he was like, sometimes you talk like a deep voice. And then sometimes you talk with like a white voice. And I was like, oh, shit. But it's something I do. And I think most black people do pretty unconsciously. We wear the veil just in the same way that when I'm walking out of a store and like the alarm goes off for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, fuck. This could be anything from a ma'am, go ahead to a ma'am, check your bags or to a ma'am, we're going to try to detain you and call the police. Like it can go left really quickly. I wrote a story the other day about flying back to L.A. and the white guy sitting next to me was like, it's okay, Nobody will bother you while I'm here, which I did appreciate. Also, know when I was walking up to the gate. I'm like prepping myself for someone to be like, oh, this is the line for X, Y, Z. And then having to correct them that, yes, I know. Or sitting in my seat and the stewardess comes by and says, oh, can I check your ticket? I just want to make sure you have the right seat. I do. I assure you. Black people ain't randomly sitting down in first class and don't have a first class ticket because we know we're going to be checked. That's a first world problem. But it's just like in every aspect of my life, I'm mindful of how I'm going to be perceived. You see it with all the Karens running up on black people. The video this week, a guy is walking through a neighborhood, big, beautiful houses. Apparently, he saw one he liked across the street. He took a picture of it. And the woman approached him. Why are you taking a picture of that? Black people can't take pictures of shit in public. Why not? Black woman in a swimming pool with her family. We talked about this last week. The worker comes out and comes straight to her. What are you doing here? Black people in public spaces. We're used to being policed. We're used to being told what to do. We're used to being questioned. White folks aren't. Hence why they blowing up about these goddamn masks. Somebody on my page was like, white people are not going to allow themselves to be treated like niggas. They'd rather die first. In a global pandemic, they will refuse to wear masks because they don't want to be treated like black people. That's crazy. Back to Jessica on Medium. She says, white people have been cooped up, deprived of our usual stuff, and now that we're quote-unquote opening up again, many are craving that sense of belonging, being in a shared space, but also possessing it. We are enjoying once again a command of spaces when we can consume what we want, where we can be served. It's really not the physical discomfort, the fogged up glasses, the annoying loops rubbing on your ears. It's the expectation you didn't choose for yourself. A new requirement that gains you entry into your favorite spaces. The one where you are treated as a welcome guest, where the customer is always right, and where the needs of those serving you are never, ever brought to your attention. Earlier in this podcast, I was talking about eating out at the restaurant. And how I have this minimal interaction with the server, but this server has multiple interactions, hundreds even, over the course of a work shift with all of these people. They are at a greater risk for contracting it from one of the customers because there are so many interactions. Going into a store requiring a mask, it's about the other people in the store and it's also about the people that work there because of their frequent interactions. Wearing a mask is not about the individual, it's about the community. And the idea that you would be inconvenienced, that you would have to smell your own hot ass breath, that you would be told what to do instead of catered to by a bunch of people that you think are beneath you, either because of race or because of class, because they're in the service industry, infuriates 
people. It doesn't cater to their sense of entitlement. It doesn't confirm who they think they are. This virus, as much as it disproportionately affects certain communities, it has the ability to infect anyone. No one is immune from it, and you don't know how your body will react to it until you get it. Members of the same family, some people can be asymptomatic, some people end up on ventilator, some people end up dead. It's messed up. But it's a goddamn shame that so many people are willing to risk their own lives and the lives of others just so they can feel superior. It's stupid. On July 4th, Kanye West announced that he was running for president of the United States. Jamie Foxx had a great reaction, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but he did use the word shenanigans. But he was like, basically, we got too much going on for these these shenanigans right now. This is a distraction. There is a global pandemic. There's a nationwide uprising over dead black bodies left and right. And this is the time that you want to to do this foolishness because you didn't get enough hugs and you refuse to take your meds. So Kanye makes this announcement and people freak out. They say this is a plot by Kanye and Trump to split the black vote with Biden. And I was like, you really think black folks is going to vote in any significant numbers for Kanye West? Has he even filed? Which April Ryan answered that and was like, no, there is no FEC filing. Kanye West is just saying shit on the Internet. He is not actually trying to run for president. Nonetheless, because he as a person is a walking global brand and apparently Forbes website needs the hits, they wrote an extensive article about Kanye West. He did a series of interviews with a reporter from Forbes. It's described as, quote, over the course of four rambling hours of interviews on Tuesday, Forbes uses the word revealed, but I don't think most of this is revelation. I'll read you some of this shit. And I'll also say this. This is beneath Forbes to run. Forbes is a serious, respected publication. In recent years, they've been trying to be more inclusive, which is honorable. But this giving giving all this room to Kanye and this fucking rant, it's beneath Forbes. You can do better. This is TMZ shit. TMZ got a lane. They do very well in it. Forbes is not TMZ. Stop this shit. Don't do this again. I'm going to tell you the quotes from Forbes and so you'll understand why I'm saying this. Kanye did this interview and he says he's running for president in 2020 under a new banner, the birthday party, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Tea Party, the birthday party. He says he no longer supports President Trump. He's taking his red hat off. He says he's okay with siphoning off black votes from the Democratic nominee, thus helping Trump. He says, quote, to say that the black vote is Democratic is a form of racism and white supremacy. That's actually a decent point. Kanye has never voted in his life, which I did know. Kanye says he had COVID in February. I did not know. He says he's suspicious of the coronavirus vaccine, terming vaccines, quote, the mark of the beast. I am too suspicious of vaccines. I do not think they are the mark of the beast. Kanye goes on some rant in the article to talk about vaccines are infecting you with the devil and then you can't be godly if you have the devil inside you. Like, dude needs his meds. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that to be whatever phobic it is when you speak about people that have mental issues. Far be it for me to judge others. This ain't a right mind speaking. Kanye apparently is pro-life. He believes, quote, Planned Parenthoods have been placed inside cities by white supremacists to do the devil's work. I disagree with that. I explained why earlier in the episode, but I won't belabor it here. Kanye envisions a White House organizational model based on the secret country of Wakanda in Black Panther. Okay, I make constant references to Wakanda. I do so as a joke. Wakanda is not a secret country. It is fictional. It's a fictional country. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is Forbes. Wakanda is not real. Wakanda is not real. Wakanda is not real. That said, I'm not mad at the organizational model. Like technically a king, but a circle of elders to advise the king and a rational king such as T'Challa takes the good advice into consideration and makes a rational decision. Not bad. 
It worked well when the king had sense. But you see how it worked when Michael B. Jordan showed up. And it wasn't that he wasn't rational. I understood where he was coming from, which makes him a great villain. But he was kind of out of control. The organizational model described in the Black Panther is actually the organizational model that currently exists. You've got a president. He's got a chief of staff. He's got a team of advisors. He's got secretaries of a whole bunch of different stuff that are supposed to know what they're talking about. And they're all supposed to be advising him. And he's supposed to take in all the good information and make a sound decision. It worked under Obama. It's not working so much under Trump. (sighs) Kanye also admits, as journalist April Ryan had already pointed out, that he has not filed. He also says he has no campaign apparatus of any kind. How is this even taken seriously? And people may say, Demetria, well, if you don't take it seriously, why are you addressing it on your podcast? Because I didn't address it on my social media pages and my DMs, my comments, my emails. Are you going to talk about Kanye West? Are you going to talk about Kanye West? There are times when I really don't mind stroking someone's ego, giving them the attention that they want, becoming a part of a carefully crafted marketing plan for whatever they're promoting. Other times, I'm just like, this shit is stupid. And Forbes gave him their very respectable platform to spout mostly nonsense. The part about black people being expected to be Democrats and how it's racist, there's some truth in that. Kanye West will share some occasional truth. George Bush doesn't care about black people. I have no idea how we got from that Kanye West to this Kanye West. And just when I'm just like, oh, okay, he made a good point. He goes on to say in the Forbes article, Trump is the closest president we've had in years to allowing God to still be part of the conversation. Trump? the most ungodly man I've ever met. Have we ever seen this man inside a church? We saw him outside of one holding up a Bible. And that was after he tear gassed and had police trample peaceful protesters outside of the White House. That's godly? Retweeting white power? Calling Mexicans rapists? Groping women by the pussy? This is God as a part of the conversation? Trump will evoke God when he needs it. But in no way does he act godly. Your actions count more than your words, sir. Act in the image of Christ. Don't just evoke Christ's name. Shit. Forbes asked Kanye West about his policy. Kanye said, I don't know if I would use the word policy for the way I would approach things. I didn't have a policy when I went to Nike and designed Yeezy. I went to Louis and designed at Louis Vuitton at the same time. It wasn't policy. It was a design. We need to innovate the design to be able to free the mind at this time. Nigga, rap. This is rap lyrics. Look, I'm all for getting out of the box. I'm all for thinking about new ideas. Sir, you can't handle a global pandemic because you had experience designing a shoe. Trump decided to go after Bubba Wallace this week. Bubba Wallace is the black race car driver. A couple weeks ago, a noose was found in his area at a racetrack. The FBI said it was a door pull. And then NASCAR released a picture which looked suspiciously like a noose. When the FBI says, hey, this isn't a noose, it's a door pull, Bubba Wallace goes on CNN. He goes to a bunch of different platforms and he takes accountability. He's like, hey. I didn't discover this. NASCAR brought it to my attention. I shared the discovery with people, but I didn't make this up. This is not a hoax. I'm actually glad that it wasn't what we thought it was. I love the way that NASCAR handled this and the way NASCAR is supporting me. I think this is an example of how these sorts of incidences can be handled going forward. Thank you to NASCAR for your support. This is what it is. He's been transparent. He's been gracious. He's been frustrated, but he's managed not to flip out. Across the board, he has consistently behaved like a stand-up dude. And Trump comes for him on Monday. He gets on Twitter demanding that Wallace apologize to his fellow NASCAR drivers and officials and accuse Wallace of perpetrating a hoax. It's clearly not a hoax. Like, clearly not a hoax. NASCAR has explained how this whole situation happened. Clearing Bubba. Bubba has explained how this whole situation happened. NASCAR brought it to me. This wasn't me making this up. This is not a Juicy Smouye situation. 
immediately following Trump's tweet because, again, Bubba is a stand-up dude. He goes on Twitter and his and his response is, always deal with hate being thrown at you with love, even when it's hate from the president of the United States. Which, I'm a life coach by training. Technically, I should be above petty shit. And sometimes when people ask me questions, or when they used to, because I don't answer them anymore, But sometimes when people used to ask me questions, I would be like, so do you want my life coach answer or do you want my real world answer? Because sometimes there's not one in the same. Sometimes you can, um, when they go low, we go high. Sometimes you can Michelle Obama it. And sometimes you just have to get in the gutter with folks because that's all they understand. Sometimes you got to match crazy with crazy. I think Bubba handled this well, though, because Trump has nothing to lose. He's reckless. He's racist. He's a bigot. He's sexist. He assaults women like he doesn't give a fuck. He's at the pinnacle of his career as is. He's running for a reelection that he may or may not win. He just seems very determined to go down in flames and take as many people as he can with him. Bubba, however, is on the come up and he has goodwill with him. So his response about respond with love is a good PR take. I think it was the appropriate response. I think when arguing with Trump, as much as I can like to embrace a good petty moment, Arguing with Trump is one of those situations like Jay-Z described, like when you argue with a fool, people from a distance can't tell who is who. So to go back and forth with Trump, I mean, he could have gave him a good one-liner. Nancy Pelosi likes to do so. Auntie Maxine, she, she likes to get at him too. No love has been lost for either of them by calling a spade a spade when it comes to Trump. Bubba Wallace could have done that. He chose to do something else. Probably wouldn't have been my approach, but I like it. He's also a media darling right now. Since the beginning of of Black Lives Matter and and NASCAR getting rid of the Confederate flag, and even this noose, non-noose, noose situation, because it looked like a noose. The FBI was like, no, it's for the doors. And I was like, but it looks like a noose. I mean, perhaps there are other uses for nooses that I'm not aware of, but it looked like a goddamn noose. I say all that to say, Bubba Wallace just got an endorsement with Apple and Beats. So I was thinking about this and I was like, if Bubba plays his cards right, he could totally Tiger Woods this situation. Nice looking guy, top of his game, a black guy leading in a sport for white folks. Actually, let me not say that because a lot of black people do like NASCAR. A lot. All of Tiger Woods' old endorsements, they could kind of transfer over to Bubba. If Bubba can keep his penis in his pants, he'll do all right for himself. Tiger Woods and that lack of dick control just ruined his life. I mean, I guess he did bounce back professionally, but image-wise, he never bounced back from being a hoe. Bubba went on CNN. Was it Tuesday? Yes, Bubba went on CNN talking to Anderson on Tuesday, and he shared his first thought after reading the president's tweet. He said, when I first read it, I was just like, man, there's so much more things that are going on in the world. You mean like a global pandemic? Instead of an issue that was resolved two weeks ago? Like that? In other Trump news, there's a new book about him that his niece, Mary Trump, wrote. Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. If you've been following the news, you know that there was a court order at one point to stop the publication of the book. And the publisher released the book two weeks early. CNN has been talking about this book nearly nonstop for the last couple of days. It's um, it's trite soap opera-esque drama about the Trump family, about Donald Trump's relationship with his father. Basically, he's been a seedy, socially awkward, deceptive, emotionally unavailable and dysfunctional human being all of his life. And it stems back to his messed up relationship with his dad. There's all sorts of tawdry accusations from Trump don't have the truth in him. He cheats constantly. He cheated on his SATs, blah, blah, blah. It's just a lot of salacious details to basically confirm what I already thought about him. Yeah. I mean, how many people are going to write books about how terrible he is? I don't need to read a 300-page book to confirm what is confirmed every time he opens his mouth or tweets. 140 characters. I know he ain't shit. I don't really need to read a 300-page book from a family member. I mean, thank you for the context. It's nice to know that I was correct, but I already knew I was. 
You remember last week I was all excited to see Hamilton? So the day after it came out, pulled the shades down, curled up on the couch, turned the TV on, all excited to dig in. How do I say this? I didn't love it. I didn't like it. I have been pressed for years to see Hamilton. Years. I would have been pissed if I paid premium to see Hamilton. Now, I will say this. I like all the working black folks. I liked the songs. I see how people could listen to the Hamilton soundtrack on repeat. I get that. And I will admit that seeing Hamilton on stage versus seeing it on TV is, without doubt, an entirely different experience. And had I gone to the theater, I may have enjoyed it slightly more. But watching it on my big ass TV, I couldn't finish it. It's two and a half hours. When it got to the intermission, I thought it was over. And I was like, whew, well, got through that. And then I was like, wait, intermission? There's more? So I watched as much as I could tolerate. But I finally turned it off with 40 minutes to go. Like, I was like, I can't. I can't. And I will also say that I think one of my issues with it is timing and context. Hamilton came out during the Obama years and we were a lot less jaded and a lot more hopeful then. It's not lost on me that this Hamilton debut is happening now. Many of the, many of the forefathers who are featured in this show are people who have monuments made of them that we're currently trying to tear down. Because the monuments that are coming down are not just members of the Confederacy. They're also other people who were considered enlightened, who enslaved people and did despicable shit. Seeing a bunch of black and brown people portraying people who would have enslaved them. It just, I was happy black actors got work. I like the songs. I will probably never finish that thing. And I'm definitely not paying to go see it on Broadway. I respect folks who love it. And I'm tempering my words here because I didn't think it was bad. So, like, I don't want to insult people who like it. But, mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. I could not. Last but not least, we need to speak about Lil Wayne and 50 Cent. Briefly. Because I don't really want to give these mofos too much of my time either. Lil Wayne has a radio show. And his guest for the week was 50 Cent. They, they're having this conversation and 50 starts talking about how black women get upset with him for dating, quote, exotic women. Exotic, like the women are cars. Okay. So he says, that shit, referring to women, looks a lot different from the shit, i.e. women, you see in the neighborhood all the time. That shit looked like it came off a boat. Something you can't just get. But they, black women, get angry. How did you end up with this motherfucker? I'm like, huh? My instincts always make me defensive. So I look at it like, look at this angry black motherfucker. Get the fuck out of here. Trying to fuck up the whole vibe. Wayne who has at least one daughter, not only laughed along with 50, he verbally co-signed his statement. Neither one of these men actually like women. Fucking them, perhaps. But just that shit to refer to a woman? Black motherfucker to refer to a woman? Sir, you have a black grandmother. 50 Cent is no prize. He has a lot of money. But he's so goddamn annoying. Like, he's 45 and has the maturity level of a junior high boy. He's a professional fucking troll. He's a good rapper. Power was a great show. He's an okay actor. What 50 Cent is still best known for, despite all of those money-making accolades, is trolling people. And in all my conversations since when 50 Cent first popped on the scene, I've never once sat in a room with black women talking about, ooh, that 50 Cent, he could get it. His body was dope in the first video. Hanging upside down. Otherwise, yeah. Lil Wayne, he looks filthy. But he has a lot of money. So despite his unfortunate appearance, attractive women 
exotic like cars. I can't believe he said that shit. I mean, I can, but ugh. But they give him attention. And so that makes him think that he's desirable. Sir, you are not desirable. Your cash flow is desirable. That is a distinct difference. Now, you do have your cash. If, however, you are to lose it, do understand all your exotics are gone. Black women, at least those with basic self-esteem, will be gone too. Actually, they should leave now. I love power at one point. All these power spinoffs coming down the pipeline, black women shouldn't watch that shit. I should have said this after he started attacking the Tory Naughton, Tasha, the star of his show. In the final season of Power, he started posting these memes about her making fun of her hairline. And she was like, do we have a fight that I don't know about? Like, why, why are you attacking me on your platform of millions? And I was like, you're attacking the star of your show. Like, your show is not a hit without this black woman. Your show was not a hit without another black woman, Courtney Kemp, whose idea the show was and who wrote most of the episodes. You ain't got no show without her. But didn't you make these attacks on black women? Black women who have been a large part of your buying audience. Black women are a large part of your audience base for power. Your show is not successful without black women watching it. So all these spinoffs you got coming, black women should totally stop watching that shit. Black women should boycott 50 Cent and all his shows. And I was very much looking forward to the spinoffs. Like I wanted to see what Meth was going to do and Mary was going to do. I wanted to see more of Notoria. I wanted to support Courtney Kemp. Because I think she's dope. But 50 Cent, I can't support this shit anymore. I refuse to be disrespected by people I support. I'm not saying this out of anger or hate or jealousy. Sir, if you want to date women who are not black, just go date them. You don't need to make pronouncements about it. Just go date who you want to date and call it a fucking day. It's when you start disrespecting black women in order to justify your own choices. It's insulting to me and it sounds like self-hate from you. But I was a faithful, faithful watcher. All the seasons, even when it was terrible. You insult women like me for what? You alienate women like me for what? So you can bomb with some roach-looking mofo about how much you hate black women? Really? Fuck you. Wayne's daughter, a beautiful black woman, hopped on the internet and said, I'm black, I'm beautiful, I'm enough, I'm exotic, I'm amazing, I'm one of a motherfucking kind. Now, where are my black, beautiful queens at? She turned out with sense and self-esteem despite her father, not because of him. That's sad. Anyway, that's the episode this week. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk next week's iffy, but definitely the week after that. Wait, hold up, pause, time out, flag on the play. We are not done. This would be the podcast equivalent of breaking news. So I'm wrapping up the podcast. I'm doing the final edit. I had it all ready to go. I ran it through Iphonic to get the sound right. And I got a DM. Sis, you seen this shit about Steven Jackson? I've talked about Steven Jackson on a couple of occasions. The first one was back in March. Um, I didn't know who he was. He's a former NBA player. But he made this video that started as a PSA to other black men. And it started off really well. Mr. Jackson has, I don't know how many children he has, but he has children by five women. But he does this PSA and he advises young men not to have children with multiple women, which I think is smart. He says, find one good woman, be in a healthy relationship and have all your children with this one person and cultivate your family, which great. He said that of the the five women he has children with, three He wishes he never met. And he goes on this rant about bitter baby mamas and bitter black women. I'm going to play you the clip. Having kids by multiple women can destroy your life, bro. Because a bitter baby mama ruins black men just as much as the police or just as much as as anybody. Okay? They won't say that. And of course, women won't say that because it's, it's it's majority of them. The quickest way... And the fastest way for the demise of a black man, especially a successful black man, is a bitter black woman. Truth hurts. You know what I'm saying? Brothers that's out here that ain't getting in trouble, that ain't selling drugs, what's ruining their lives? Opportunity and bitter black women. And that's just the truth. If you ain't doing nothing wrong, you ain't dealing with the police. So what's, what, what else is ruining you? Opportunity and bitter black women. 
he uploaded this video in March and I wrote about it on my Instagram page. I believe I talked about it on my podcast. And I also interviewed one of his children's mothers. She and Mr. Jackson have not been in a relationship in over a decade. She was like, I'm definitely not bitter. That relationship was really hard on me. A lot of crazy things happened. She detailed some of them, not too salacious because that's not what the the interview was about. We actually talked about how she was not bitter after some of the things that she experienced in that relationship. So I talked about him there. George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis in May. And Stephen Jackson says that he was a friend of George Floyd. There was a picture of them that was circulating on all the news channels. He spoke up very vocally about George Floyd's death. He was very present on all of the news shows talking about George Floyd, tons of interviews, talked about it a lot on his social media. He either positioned himself or he was positioned as a social activist. Very, very vocal about George Floyd, who he called his twin. I thought it was interesting that Al Sharpton always made a point to point out the celebrities who were in attendance. Like Tyrese was there. Jamie Foxx was there. Tiffany Haddish was there. I'll Be Sure was there. All of those people got, for lack of a better word, shout outs. But Steven Jackson was never mentioned. I'm like, but you're his brother. You're his twin. If you turned on CNN, you would see Steven Jackson every night talking about George Floyd and their relationship. But he was never mentioned at any of the memorials and the funerals. I thought that was odd. I asked genuine question why he was being seemingly sidelined by the family. I personally think he's sketchy and I'm biased because I am a black woman. I always am very wary of black men who essentially use their platforms to abuse black women. If you exist as a black man, you came from a black woman. That you would get on a platform and, and viciously attack black women is baffling to me. So I always find men who do things like this suspect. And I spoke up about this in March. So March happens, May happens. Now we're in July. So Stephen Jackson becomes this media darling, social activist. People are tuning in to hear what he has to say. And I suppose he just got a little too comfortable or too ignorant. I need to explain the backstory of this to make this make sense. And when I explain it, you're going to be like, he did what? So Deshaun Jackson is a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson are not related. They just happen to have the same last name. Deshaun Jackson, for some unknown reason, hops his happy ass on Instagram and features a quote that he attributes to Hitler that says, white Jews, quote, will blackmail America. They will extort America. Their plan for world domination won't work if the Negroes know who they were. I'm reading from a story on ESPN. Just want to make that clear. I don't want to be accused of plagiarism. So, and then he goes on to share two posts on Instagram on Saturday and then on Monday, expressing his admiration for Minister Louis Farrakhan, who ESPN is quick to note, the Anti-Defamation League and Southern Poverty Law Center have identified as anti-Semitic. Jackson has since deleted those posts. I can't find reference to them. His ass is quickly, quickly, swiftly handed to him. And he doubled down. He said, anyone who feels I have hate towards the Jewish community took my post the wrong way. I have no hatred in my heart towards no one. Equality, equality. By Tuesday morning, he was singing a different tune. The Eagles responded to Jackson's post, calling them offensive, harmful, and absolutely appalling, and said the team would take, quote and unquote, appropriate action. The team owner and general manager of the Eagles are Jewish. Sir. On Tuesday, Jackson spoke with the team owner. In that meeting, he expressed a desire to educate himself and work directly with the Jewish community. Again, this is from ESPN. And a short time later, his camp contacted a rabbi to discuss ways for Jackson to donate and work with the rabbi's organization. Jackson also posted an apology on Instagram saying he, quote, really didn't realize what this passage attributed to Hitler was saying and that he is, quote, sorry for any hurt I have caused. He posted an additional apology to social media and said, quote, this apology is more than just words. It is a promise to do better. 
blah, 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 blah. More apologies of the like whenever a celebrity fucks up. This statement was clearly written by a really good PR firm. It's, it's really a well-crafted statement. I'm just not reading the whole damn thing. It's long. Now you may be asking, this is Deshaun Jackson, not Steven Jackson. What the hell does this have to do with Steven Jackson? Well, Steven Jackson decided to give a fuck when it wasn't his turn. After Deshaun Jackson had apologized, Steven Jackson decided to defend him, saying that Deshaun Jackson was speaking the truth with his social media posts. To be clear, Deshaun Jackson says a whole bunch of stuff on Saturday and Monday. By Tuesday afternoon, he has apologized for it. Steven Jackson, for no apparent reason, decided to jump into the middle of a major controversy to defend Deshaun Jackson, who was already trying to exit the controversy with a series of apologies. Steven Jackson uploads a video and he says, I just read a statement that the Philadelphia Eagles posted regarding Deshaun Jackson's comments. He was trying to educate himself, educate people, and he's speaking the truth. You know he don't hate nobody, but he's speaking the truth of the facts that he knows and trying to educate others. But y'all don't want us to educate ourselves. It's talking about the black race. Y'all ain't saying nothing about it. They killing us, police killing us and treating us like shit. He later deleted the video, but then posted a statement on his Instagram page. Let's go to the statement. This is where he really gets in hot water. To whom it may concern. July 7th at 11.45 p.m. Your racist pain doesn't hurt more than the next racist pain. Don't act like your hardships are more devastating than ours and you wonder why we're fighting for equality. Common sense ain't common. Truth hurts. Never waste time explaining to people who never supported you anyway. Free game. Again, there's a Hitler quote involved in all this. You cannot quote Hitler. It's never going to go over well. So when I got told about this, they were lighting Stephen Jackson's ass up on Twitter. I mean, up everybody, the Jews, the blacks, Bakari Sellers, his comments weren't controversial. They were ignorant and anti-Semitic and Steven Jackson caping for him is just as ignorant. CNN has not aired on the West Coast just yet. Steven Jackson did an interview with Don Lemon and by all accounts, it was tragic. I'm reading on Twitter, Nate Medelson, watch the CNN segment with Don Lemon. Lemon tried to talk Jackson through his mindset and give him a chance, but he kept doing mental gymnastics. Oh, wait, Twitter to the rescue. I found a clip from Don Lemon. Let me play a portion of it for you. Don is trying to help Stephen save himself and Stephen just don't want to be saved. It takes him a while to latch on to the life draft. Stephen, just because you don't understand no, I didn't say, I didn't saying, understand. No, no, no. I, let me, will, you, will you let me get the question in and I, I promise I'll let you answer. Just because you don't understand that something that you're saying is doing or doing is anti-Semitic doesn't mean that it's not. And I think that you're, you are trying to defend something. This is me trying to defend something that you don't understand is anti-Semitic. Just as people try to defend things that they don't understand is racist against or are racist against black people. And so it sh- should you, instead of defending this so much, shouldn't you be trying to understand, as you want others to understand what happened to George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and racism against black people, shouldn't you be trying to understand why Jewish people are offended and many others who are allies of Jewish people, like me, who are offended by and, and, and see what and, and see what you don't understand about what you're saying about the Rothschilds and that trope about Jewish people uh, and controlling the banks. Do you understand what I'm saying? I totally understand what you're saying, but that never was my intent. I understand that's that not your intent, but it doesn't have to be your intent. Maybe I, you just don't. OK, go I, on. I, I apologize for using the wrong words. I apologize for my words and I could have switched up, but that's the end of it. I know I love everybody. and That's how I always stand. I gather from what you're saying, you understand that that it wasn't your intention, but you understand that what you said was wrong. Is that correct? I do. Okay. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Shutting the fuck up is free. Deshaun Jackson quoting Hitler and his follow-up comments quoting Farrakhan are what started all this nonsense. Deshaun Jackson has apologized and exited the building. Mr. Jackson He's the one getting his ass lit up right now for jumping in some shit that was none of his concern. Caping for a mofo who is nowhere to be found. 
He made the mess. He left the mess. You sitting in the mess, sir. Hope you find your way out of this one and good luck on keeping that Showtime contract. May you have the week you deserve. And on that note, we have now concluded this episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Thank you for tuning in. As always, if you need some Ratchet and Respectable in your life this week, please follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and mostly Instagram. If you liked what you heard this podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. And that is everything. We will talk. Okay. Bye.